Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation on Oilers Radio, 630 Chair. It is 534 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott keeping you company on this Friday evening as we break down what's ailing the Edmonton Oilers. There's no short answer to that this year. It's it's a long list. <laughs> Is it whack-a-mole? Perhaps not. They won't admit to that, but it's not fun to look at from a fan's perspective, I'm sure. We're getting a lot of that kind of feedback at 780-496-0063. Keep it coming. We'll get to that uh, after we bring in our next guest, who I will, when I tell you that some guests of Oilers now receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Might be a good time to float Frank one of these. I think he's going to be around these parts. Uh, whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse. Tell Chris and Chef Altoff that Oilers now sent you. They will be open after the Heritage Classic, so you can boogie on over there on Sunday nights. We welcome aboard Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravalli once more for Horse Racing Alberta. Experience live standard bread racing each Friday and Saturday at Century Mile racetrack and casino for more head to the horses.com frank uh, are you in town yet i am i was uh in town yesterday i was at the game right on um well frankly glad to have you here sorry you had to witness that last night because it was it was flat i mean there was a point in that game where i looked at uh, tony prar and i just said i cannot believe how quiet this building is right now it has been um I think a bit of a gobsmacked fan base with the way things have gone. They're waiting for things mm-hmm. to turn. We're seven games into waiting for things to turn, and yet we're seeing same sort of issues game in and, and game out. What, uh, when you evaluate this product, did you see on the ice last night? So it was really interesting. I was listening to your your intro to the segment, mm-hmm. and you said it's a tough thing to boil down, and I disagree. Uh, two words can sum up this start of the season for the Edmonton Oilers for me, and it's hard work. That's it. It sounds really simple, but that's what stands out to me as really something that this Oiler team over the last couple of years, it's never really been an issue. It's always been a, a sort of baseline guarantee that they've brought it pretty much every night. And I don't know what happened. I don't know how this sort of crept into the start of this campaign. Maybe it's a couple just off nights. I, I don't know what it is, but something uh, is not right in that sense that they think, at least outwardly, that teams are going to hand you points in the NHL. That's not going to happen for a team that had cup or bust expectations this year. This is a hard-working town. This is why I love coming to Edmonton. The people here bring their lunch pails to work every day. You put your hard hat on, you go to work. This team hasn't done it. And that part has been really surprising. And when you're talking about a bottom six that has been completely devoid offensively, that's a way that you can engage yourself and be involved and effective. And, and it doesn't seem like there's 
participants willing to go that extra mile or that extra half mile or to get the, to the corner first. It, it looks like, as I said off the top of the show, um, to me, it looks like they're thinking too hard to get around the ice to the right spots. And that certainly was something that they never had to contend with before. Do you think that there's you know a chance that they're, I guess, with the change in system that it's having that kind of impact or that we're, we're mm. gripping the, the stick too tight? You see what I'm saying here? No, I, I I do see what you're saying, but I think to single this out to a bottom six issue would be to absolve the top two lines and frankly would be to absolve the D pairs because I think this is a team-wide thing. You know, systems are one thing. Is there an adjustment to to what Jay Woodcroft and his staff have put into place in their own end this year? Of course there is. But that doesn't explain or or you know, cover over the lapses that we've seen. This team has right now a penchant uh, for shooting itself in the foot with the mistakes that they make in their own end. But at the other end of the ice, and and part of that, this is all over, is a 200 by 85 thing. You got to want the puck. You got to compete. This is in your own corners. It's at the other end of the ice. And from top to bottom, from top line center to to 13th forward, we haven't seen it. It hasn't been enough. And so, you know, Brennan, the, the topic of conversation, even stretching back to training camp, everyone has wanted to know, and it's been a constant talking point of, what is this team going to do at the deadline? How can they improve the bottom six? It's not been great, and it's certainly one-dimensional, but I don't pin that as a reason why the Oilers have limped out of the gate the way they have. Yeah, it's, I mean, boy, you could you could look a whole bunch of different directions. The The goaltending uh, is something that I think people are going to point to. I don't, like, where do you draw the line between where we see and give what you want in terms of credence to uh, advanced analytics, but both goaltenders are sitting in the bottom. If there's 67 goaltenders that they track, Stuart Skinner is, is uh, listed 67th, and I think Campbell is about eight or ten spots ahead of him in terms of goals that shouldn't have gone in and did. So, to me, is that an individualized goaltender stat and there needs to be an uptick there? Or is that because of the prime scoring opportunities that the defense is surrendering at times? It's both, but here's the thing. the def- um, Let me start with the goalies, because it's not anywhere near good enough. Um, Jack Campbell... And his play, I think, heading into the game in Philly, you were saying, okay, this guy has at least, you know, improved and, and maybe we could shake off, um, you know, the, the tough start to the year in Vancouver. It It's not anywhere near where it needs to be for both guys, for Skinner and, uh, and Campbell. But let me say this. Um, I want to judge them properly based on a competent effort in front of them. When we get that and then the goaltending fails, well, then they haven't held up their end of the bargain. But for right now, um, I, I think it's too soon to really dive in and, and say this is ultimately the Oilers undoing right now because I think the whole thing in front of them, if you're talking about – start to finish appetizer to dessert has been lacking. It's been 
far off from what this team should be. And I think everyone that's watching this team, uh, not just in this market, but also around the league is saying, what happened here? Where, you know, this is a team that finished 14, Oh, and one last year. And that's probably the hope. Um, there, there is, I think a lot of hope placed in, in Stuart Skinner and, and the Oilers goaltending, but the hope is that this team finds a way and, and reels off. They're eminently capable of reeling off eight in a row, so it's not time to panic by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but to have this type of conversation, um, it's jarring, given where this team was at and the expectations heading into this year that I, I just didn't sense this being a possibility right out of the gate. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. We're chatting right now with Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. Uh, he's our headliner today, matter of fact. Brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It is the best you've ever tasted. Search for W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. So, you know, I wonder when you think back to that stretch that they were riding, right into the playoffs last year. And that's going to be hard for any team to duplicate, the, particularly the sugar rush, if you will, of having acquired a, a main key player in, in Matthias Ekholm at the deadline. And, and things really went well from there. It's almost as if, in my opinion, they peaked a little too soon. Why is the objective not to get back to that standard of play rather than to have, you know, tinkered the system to be more in line with what they saw Vegas or Boston have success with? They saw themselves have a tremendous amount of success last year with what it was that they were doing. And I guess Mm -hmm. maybe now that we're seeing a lack of success out of the gate, it begs the question, did they change too much when they had some answers already? Fair question. Um, I don't think the system or structure is why they are where they are today. And I also think if you're looking on the macro level of this is an 82-game slog plus whatever you can win for yourself in the postseason, that the thought process is in the long run, the long haul, this team will be better equipped and better set up for playoff success with that type of structure. It's a copycat league. Jay Woodcroft acknowledged it in training camp. It's not just Vegas that has found success with it. It's also uh, the Boston Bruins and some of the other top teams in the league. And so you can look at some others and say, well, Carolina doesn't play that way. Why do you feel the need to make the change? Carolina had been one of the best defensive teams in the league the last number of years. I think ultimately the design is going back to your previous question about the goaltending. In theory, what this should do, making the tweaks that they have, is take some heat off of your goaltender and and take some pressure off, and to make it less your team less reliant on your goalie coming up with big saves like that. And I don't know if that's ultimately what's going to happen here, but if you look at those teams in Boston and in Vegas, and I don't want to take anything away at all from Aiden Hill on the playoff that he ran, he had run that he had. Um, I'm a big believer in Logan Thompson behind him, and I think they're one of the most formidable goalie duos in the league. I also think those guys in Vegas and the tandem in Boston, which is sort of universally recognized in tandem, I say, uh, best pair best duo in the league not just like having a 1a guy that clearly you know plays 60 games people look at boston as that top tandem 
the thing that those two teams have in common is it kind of feels like it doesn't really matter who's in net on any given night. And I think the Oilers wanted to get to a point where maybe it was less of a, a question or reliance on goaltending in order to really go on a deep run and be successful. Couple more questions here for Daily Faceoffs Frank Saravalli. Uh, and one of the things that really stood out to me about the way the Rangers played, and they to me have an elite defense, the way that they're structured, mm-hmm. puck moving wise especially, they really don't spend a lot of time in their own zone. And I know in the summertime, that was something Edmonton was, listen, no team's going to prioritize spending more time there, but Edmonton was trying to m- embrace the idea of being comfortable with those times that you do have to spend more time time in your own zone when I watch the quality of puck movers or what quality puck movement can do Eric Gustafson who was their sixth defenseman had a, a probably a 75 foot pass that I mean it just changes things so quickly and and to mm-hmm. me I noticed a real difference in the way that Edmonton struggled or you know they try and hit those passes and it's picked off or whatever the case may be so I don't know if it's execution personnel or what have you but I thought that that was a big difference in the two teams that I was watching last night it's a fair point, and I would also say a guy that they don't really rely on as much but is a really talented player and would be in a lot of other teams' top four is Braden Schneider. And you saw not the goal that he had, but you know a period before that, I, I was sitting with someone watching the game. I said, I love watching him play. He skates so well. You know, he's a really he's a guy that I think on another team in another market would be a lot higher up the depth chart and get a lot more notoriety league wide and you see that kind of play itself out. I didn't say that to make myself look smart. The point was I think really what Edmonton's dealing with to start this year is not so much in personnel but more so in execution. Tell me or point out to me a really crisp sequence that they've had coming out of their own end. It's not making the long stretch pass. It's just being able to make the smart pass, which sometimes is just the one right in front of you. That's simple to make. There's been trying to do too much. Uh, there's been an overcomplication of uh, what their execution should be. And, you know, I, I say this all the time. This league is hard enough to win against other teams. But when you have to beat yourself in the process to get there, it just makes it that much harder. And so that's sort of what the Oilers are dealing with right now is getting out of their own way, particularly coming out of their own end and getting that the puck in the hands of their super talented forwards that could make life so much easier for them. We've got the Heritage Classic coming up on Sunday, Frank, and I'm not sure which team has done a worse job selling tickets for this thing. I haven't checked out Ticketmaster recently, but I, I wonder from you know the league's perspective, the rivalry is going to sell this itself. The experience for everybody to go there and take this in obviously is going to sell itself. Um, is there? Do you have any league sources that have you know commented or or what's your um, sense of how the the league is feeling about these two teams coming in with? With, uh, pretty mid- middling, if not subpar records. I don't know what the league thinks. All I can tell you is this. I think the way these two teams have fallen out of the gate only ratchets up what Sunday's going to be. I think you're going to find for a late October game outdoors, instead of just looking in the crowd and seeing your family and being happy to be there and experience uh, the same feeling that you had as a kid, 
there's going to be real desperation. There's going to be two teams that really need these two points on the other end of it. And you add in the familiarity, the animosity of a battle Alberta. I'm not trying to sell this game. I'm telling you what I think we're actually going to see in legitimate fireworks as opposed to um, two teams that are sort of comfortable and resting on uh, pretty decent starts that you're going to see some hungry, hungry teams. Because if you were to ask me the question, which team enters or which fan base enters feeling worse about yourself, think about how tough this these last few days have been, and especially with a couple of days off leading into Sunday, how down everyone is in this market. Just go down Highway 2, and they're, they're probably feeling worse. So I think that's kind of what makes Sunday so ridiculously entertaining now uh, heading into it as opposed to what it might have normally been. It's sky-high desperation levels, even though we're, I guess, nine games in for Calgary, eight for Edmonton, and it, there's an undertone of humor to that for me. I'll accept that. I'll embrace that emotion, but I'll expect a great hockey game as a result. Can you put into context exactly what's going on down in Calgary? Just for those who maybe haven't had a keen eye uh, down to the south of the province, they're 2-5-1 and one right now. They can't score any goals either, hey? And they're actually ahead of the Oilers in the standings, which yeah. is amazing enough considering how poorly they've played. Uh, a lot of the same things. All that I just talked about, about work ethic and compete and effort, that's all there. They were as lifeless last night as the Oilers were. Uh, I had a chance to spend some time this morning and go back and watch their game last night. Um, look, Calgary is feeling worse, one, because they don't have the same expectations this year that Edmonton does. They didn't have cup or bus talk. Instead, what they had was great vibes. And all of a sudden, three weeks into the season, you start to see those crack. Nikita Zadarov out this week talking about how they've played like a collection of individuals as opposed to a team. And that's really rare to hear and see three weeks into a season. It might come out in late March as the season's winding down. But to be so openly critical of their character and their chemistry was really surprising to me. And here's where it gets tricky for the Flames if you want to talk macro level is they've got a bunch of guys, as everyone knows, heading into the season as pending free agents. Their plan... And they've tried to this point has been to negotiate long-term extensions with Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin and maybe, you know, Zadarov and some of those guys. If they've started the way they have, and instead of this year feeling so different, as Zadarov said, what's the excuse Daryl Sutter isn't here anymore? If the idea was that this would be a new team under a new coach in Ryan Huska new management and Craig Conroy. Well, it kind of feels now like this year is only an extension game, 87, 88, 89 of last year, as opposed to a clean slate. And that's, pretty easy way to explain it in a nutshell why they're not feeling too good about themselves down there well i appreciate the preview and certainly looking forward to what sunday brings enjoy the game frank thanks for your time tonight have a good weekend brendan all right frank saravalli from daily face off
Whoops, that's my microphone for the horses. Horse Racing Alberta. I'm making Kellen Kennedy work on the other side of the glass. So Too many buttons. I know. Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> that's push the one that goes to break. We'll bring it back in a minute. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, the Heritage Classic is going to be fun. So, too, is this trip we've got planned for you heading to Montreal. And due to popular demand, New West Travel has actually added a second package on this exclusive Oilers Now road trip to Montreal to watch the Oilers play the Canadians. This package includes airfare, three nights in a deluxe hotel in downtown Montreal, some game tickets uh, in a private suite. Not the lower bowl, not the upper bowl, none of that. Private suite, food, drinks are there, and of course a welcome reception with Bob Stoffer and some special guests. Experience the incredible hockey history of Montreal this January. To be a part of that awesome trip, call New West Travel today or go online to New West Travel travel.com and in the Oilers now injury report we're really we we got our we got our blinders on right now what's what's happening with 97 I had eyes on him last night he was in a suit he looked very nice after the game uh, I didn't even think he was in the building but he was there and as Ron McLean mentioned on yesterday's edition of Oilers now the McDavid family was on route from Ontario to Edmonton. Doesn't necessarily guarantee the captain is going to play. It's a pretty long flight for him not to play, I would say that. But there is also a family skate going on too. So will he or won't he? I know that if he can, he will, but he's also got the bigger picture in mind. So that, so far, I guess we'll double down on the injury report, thanks to Ron McLean, who happened to share an airplane or an airport seat with the McDavid family. That's the injury report brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. So you're saying there's a chance... We'll find out, well, we'll probably know tomorrow at practice, let's be honest. But if not, game time decision, we'll call it here. It's Brendan Escott in for Bob. We've got George LaRocque coming up on the other side of a global news weather traffic update. Thomas Dias. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms. <laughs> 